So the 80-20 rule, we've heard this so many times in all different arenas, but it's legit. Like you are going to get so much of your results from such a small subset of the things you do. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Before I bore you with the details of my weekend, let's check in with Cody. What's going on? Yeah, so I had an eventful weekend. I was hanging out with friends a bunch. Actually, ended up going to the beach on Saturday. And for context, most people that are listeners, long-term listeners, know that I'm up in Massachusetts. But it was like 50 degrees out. My friends live in Dorchester right by the beach. And so we went out and had ourselves a little beach day. It wasn't the warmest, but it wasn't the coldest. I'm definitely excited for the weather moving forward. And then, yeah, I actually did some golf simulator yesterday, went bowling, just kind of a activity action-packed weekend. How about you, man? Well, first off, I have to tell people uh, from spending a little time up in the Northeast that people up there are insane when it comes to the beach as far as weather. Uh, I grew up much closer to the Gulf of Mexico where the water actually is warm. The water never gets warm up there, no matter what anyone tells you. And uh, there's no reason to ever be on a beach at 50 degrees. But <laughs> that's one of my favorite things. And when I lived up there, they're like, we got it all. We got mountains. We got beaches. I'm like, yeah, but your mountains aren't as good as Colorado and your beaches are not warm. Like, I get <laughs> it. You got a little bit of the middle of the road of everything. But anyways, I digress. This, <laughs> this weekend was pretty fun. And it actually ties in super well to our most recent episode, which was Brent, food truck CEO, who has this awesome pizza wagon. So I got in my on Uni Coda 16. For those who are not following the the home pizza ovens of the world, this is a propane-powered pizza oven. Gets up to 930 degrees, has the stone floor, and it is incredible the difference that it made in my pizza. I had a friend come down from Dallas. Um, we gave it a test run. I cooked four more pizzas on Sunday, and I mean, these things are better than 95% of any pizza I've ever purchased. So I'm very pumped to start experimenting with this, and who knows, maybe there'll be a version two of the Food Truck CEO. Yeah, the rest of the weekend was just kind of hanging out with some different people who came into town to visit. But now that we've summed up our weekends, Cody, let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote-unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called Personal Capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. 
So the last thing we said before we took a moment for one of our partners, Justin, was you're talking about the pizzas. You were talking about making pizzas and you said there might be a version two, the food truck CEO. You know, you might start traveling the country or traveling your region, selling these things. But let's talk a little bit about monetizing a passion versus not monetizing a passion, because I'm sure like Brent had talked about in the episode, cooking two or three pizzas for your buddies isn't the biggest bear, but cooking 80 pizzas for some event and making sure that everything is a bird, that's a whole different animal you're talking about. So, I mean, we're obviously in kind of two different ends of the spectrum here when it comes to trying to monetize random fun things that you like to do. Is this something you're seriously considering doing as a side hustle? And if not, why not? If yes, why? So yes, it is something I'm actually honestly looking into, but I'm trying to also be honest with myself, which is knowing like, is this something I really, really want to do? I don't want to just like jump into something. So, you know, I'm taking these baby steps. I've got the oven at the house. I've been making my own dough. I'm just trying to make sure that after I've made 200 pizzas at, at home, do I still love it? Am I still really intrigued by it? Am I still like having fun with experimentation? Also, like there is just a point with my day job where it's it's very profitable, right? So it doesn't really make a lot of monetary sense to walk away from that just yet. So I'm just taking it easy. I, but the main thing is I want to make sure it's something I really love long term and not something I'd get burnout with because even though Brent talked about the startup costs not being astronomical as far as business startups go, it's still a lot of money to just sink into something if you're not sure that the fire is still going to be there, you know, months down the road. Yeah, I think your point about testing is super important because going into this episode, we wanted to talk about, you know, monetizing a passion versus not the old adage, like follow your passion and, you know, then everything's just going to be glorious. You're going to make so much money. You're going to retire early and it's going to be happy dandy all the way there. But like an example I was thinking of was like most people who listen to the show have heard that I go snowboarding pretty much every weekend I can during the winter. Now, I just go snowboarding for fun. I don't have a brand. I don't have any way that I'm making money from snowboarding. But let's say for argument's sake that I start some website and I'm you know posting these videos or reviews or whatever of every mountain I go to. Now, this might sound fun in practice before I actually start doing it. But maybe I start doing this and I'm spending, you know, four or five hours doing video editing and all this stuff that goes into however I'm monetizing this website or this side hustle. And all of a sudden, snowboarding is not that fun for me anymore. So I I don't know. I'd I'd have to test. But I think that's kind of a way you can think about it. Like if it's going to detract from you having fun doing the thing that you love to do, then that's not a side hustle for you. You have to be able to, you know, maintain good spirits while you're making the money. So like something like that, I probably wouldn't like doing. I like just messing around. I like, you know. Having a couple of shooters on the lift, <laughs> no, you know, not, not focusing and spending all my time, you know, making sure I hit every single trail so I can write this awesome review and then spending hours, multiple hours, video editing, video editing is a bear. But yeah, I don't know. Is, is that kind of how you think about this type of stuff, Justin, or where, where does the uh, follow your passion adage kind of line up in your mentality? Well, I, I got a comment on the, the the shooters on the lift comment. Yeah, that might uh that might negate some of those liability forms that the students <laughs> yeah. filled out if you uh, if if you get if you have somebody fall off the lift because you didn't pull the bar down or something because you're too busy taking shooters. This is not legal advice. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I don't know. To me, there in the world of personal finance, especially, there seems to be too many of these just like rules that are black and white like no you should always do this or like these i hate you know i we've talked about it before i hate all the clickbaity articles where it's like the exact percent you should be spending out of your income towards your home like there's too many variables for somebody to just give you a rule and i feel the same way about like the following your passions i mean to me like you should never be miserable in your job but you should also be realistic and knowing like 
if you have the skill set and the opportunity to take a corporate job that earns you five or six times what your passion would, it may be a real thing that you need to sit down and think, I should maybe just suck it up and do this corporate thing for a much, much shorter period of time. So then my schedule and my freedom can really open up and I can focus in on those passions. And then I can also, that means I don't have that like huge stress coming after me, like where I have to make money on this passion. Because like you said, that can really suck the fun out of that passion. And then what happens, right? You've, you've turned away this career that you had an opportunity at. You're following now your passion, but this pressure has made you hate this passion. And then you couple that with shedding your income and your benefits. You know, maybe it's like the health insurance and things like that. So I just always get nervous that people read one too many, you know, van life or carpe diem articles and they just like fly off the handle and quit everything and, and just go straight for their passions. Like 100% you need to be happy. 100% you need to experiment with it. But just, you know, maybe dip your toes in before you go full board. I think there's two kind of ends of the spectrum to this. Like, you're right. There's so much blanket advice out there. It's like, save this percentage or whatever the thing is that they're telling you is the right thing to do. But I mean, there's people who are super happy because they're as frugal as they possibly can be. And they'll just travel the world in their 20s, for example. But then there's other people who in their 20s, maybe they have literally a 95% savings rate. They're not really doing anything or following their passion, but they're just grinding it out in a job that's pretty good. And I, I really don't think that's either way is like better or, you know, one way is right and one way isn't right. It's really about like your preferences. I've met so many people traveling who literally made minimum wage wherever they were traveling. They worked at the hostel or they were a scuba diver instructor, whatever the thing is. And, you know, they're not saving for retirement really, but that might not be their goal. And like, I think that's totally fine too. Obviously, this is a personal finance, financial independence podcast. You're not going to retire early if you're living that life, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And that's just kind of, you know, seeing the power of frugality, seeing how many options it lends you. Because I think that's the biggest stressor. Like if you are starting a side hustle from scratch, if you are struggling to pay your bills, if you have this expensive mortgage and a car payment and all these other things piled on top of one another, and like you said, Justin, you just quit your job cold turkey, lose all the benefits, all the pay, you know, now you're making pizzas to survive. You're not making pizzas because it's fun and you want to make a couple extra grand that year. It's, it's just like a totally different mindset. But yeah, I, I don't think there's a, there's not a right answer, but it's kind of cool just talking it out from both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, I think another interesting thing that you could do, like if you're in the camp that I'm a little bit more in, which is, okay, you've got this well-paying corporate job, you know, you could get stuck in that, you know, the golden handcuffs, the one more year syndrome is maybe setting like a contract with yourself. And this could be this situation, or it could be like the side hustle thing or following your passion thing. It could just be like, I want to give myself this amount of time. And at the end, like I'm going to make a transition one way or the other, depending on how happy I am. Like if, if in three years, like I find myself really fulfilled by this and I've met all these financial goals, then maybe I look to like leave the corporate job and I, and I go to follow my passions. If on the, the side hustle thing, okay. Like I don't, I'm not going to say that if I start hating it, I'm going to quit. Cause you're probably going to hit some spots where you hate it there the first few months. Cause it's difficult to stand something up. But maybe you say after one year, I'm going to take a really deep look in on this and if it is trending well, then I'll stick with it. If it is really just driving me into the ground, both financially and mentally, and it's ruined the love that I had for the passion, then it's okay to like step away from it. Like give yourself enough time to see it through, but also know when, quit worrying about the sunk costs and just, you know, cut off what is damaging you. 
Yeah. Thinking back to my own story, I mean, the only reason I was able to try side hustling at all was because kind of go back to the frugality thing, you know, just taking the least amount of risk possible, not throwing your life savings at opening a new restaurant or like whatever the thing might be that costs tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, I was spending a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a month when I kind of took the leap and I was making about a thousand dollars in side hustle income. So it's not like, you know, overnight. And I'm sure most of our guests, no one's an overnight success. No one just starts a side hustle and they're making $10,000 a month right off the bat. Like that very atypical. I'm sure that is not the story we usually hear. But, you know, if you if your fixed expenses, at least your fixed expenses are really low. The big three we always talk about. And Justin and I try so hard to keep those as low as possible. The food, the housing, the transportation. I mean, you just your options just open up so much and you even have less stress. Like I think honestly, you could probably turn a job that's a two or three out of 10 like a regular corporate job that you're like, eh, I really don't like this at all. Once you kind of start building up an emergency fund, you have so much more leverage to tell your boss or whoever like, hey, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. Can we work you know, something out? You just have, you're in a place of strength and confidence. Like that's what I started noticing. The more I started building up my emergency fund or just investments, you're, you're like, you know, I'm a year away from five. Like if my boss is going to give me some horrible project or, you know, God forbid you have a, a sick loved one or something you have to do. And the boss, we, we've heard this story so many times, she says like, no, you can't do that. Or no, you can't go pick your sick kid up from school. Like whatever the crazy boss story is. I mean, you just feel so much more confident kind of building that cushion. I think, you know, that goes hand in hand with following the passion. If you build up some kind of safety net, if you keep those expenses as low as possible, it's probably worth the shot. If it's something that you could see yourself doing for the long term. I think the one thing you touched on too was interesting to me, which is more around like the financial independence part of, you know, the FIRE acronym, which is when you're kind of talking about the leverage it gives you with your corporate job. Because a lot of times I feel like we only talk about, you know, we're thinking about things like FU money is this option to just quit if I need to, which is obviously a real thing, but there's so much in between. You know, I think it could actually be, it could help you in your career by having that confidence and that leverage, because now you don't have to take on every little task because you're so terrified of getting fired. And it allows you to focus on the things that really matter. It allows you to feel more confident when you go in to negotiate a salary. Cause again, you're not thinking, man, if I rock the boat and get fired, like it's going to be, the, you know, I'm going to be in real trouble having that confidence because you know that you're so financially stable allows you to do some things that you probably wouldn't have the confidence to do which doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stop working, but it might actually make you a, a better employee for yourself. Like it might allow you to increase your pay, lower the amount of responsibilities that you're having to take on, not doing all that extra grunt work that doesn't end up in any extra compensation just because you're trying to stay in someone's good graces. I kind of want to pivot a little bit here. And something that I noticed just listening back to Brent's story and then John's story as well, is these guys built out like pretty sick systems to make sure that everything's getting done as efficiently or as efficiently as they possibly can. I'd love to hear Justin, like in your day to day, what kind of systems or things are you building to you know, make life easier? I know we talked about the passion stuff for a while. So, and obviously me or you cannot convince you, the listener I'm talking to you directly. We can't convince you to follow the passion or not, or start a side hustle with your hobby, whatever. But we can at least kind of steer you toward things that might make you more successful, whether it is if you want to just stay in that corporate job or whether you do want to start that passion driven side hustle. So I'd love to kind of hear if you have any things like that, Justin. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. 
accept payments, manage inventory. They have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. I mean, the biggest thing to me is understanding yourself and how you operate and what is going to work for you. So like for me, I have a lot of trouble with, you know, remembering things like remembering like a time to do something or like, you know, some little task. And so figuring out ways that you can leverage the ne- the technology that you have access to to help you with that. For me, you know, like I can go into Slack and I can do like a slash reminder and set a time and whatever. And then all of a sudden I get this message that'll be in the middle of the day. So like while I am thinking about it and know about it right now, maybe it's something I need to take action on in like three days. And so letting the system automatically remind me like that's that's a huge thing for me. And, you know, another big one is organization of data, whether that be you're trying to start a small business or you're just trying to handle client interactions. You don't want to go into a situation where it looks like you're either not prepared or you're just not working with all the information. And so if you're not really naturally really good at that, you just got to you just got to practice. You got to use good naming conventions. You got to put things in a in a folder structure that makes sense. You need to timestamp things like that way you're not dealing you're not getting confused which data is the most current. Like just really stay on top of making sure you have the latest greatest information going into whatever event it is. So you know, maybe if you're an entrepreneur, like Brent really wanted to make sure that he's understanding the cost that he has and he's prepped enough material for, you know, an event. For me, it's I'm going into a client interaction. I really need to understand what versions of software they're on, any kind of hiccups they've had in the past, to understand the sentiment they might be coming in with just to feel like I've got a good scope of the situation before I enter it. That's probably the two biggest things for me. What about you, Cody? Well, I also have two big ones and these have, I definitely struggled like a hardcore at first when I, like when I took that leap, honestly, when I first started just doing entrepreneurial stuff, like with the podcast, I'd spend, you know, five hours editing a 45 minute episode. Like that's just a waste of time, quite frankly, that's crazy. And like on my blog, I would literally spend hours just working on meaningless stuff. Like one time I spent over an hour and a half looking through like all these GitHub articles, like trying to rework the amount of space from the word about to the top of the page on my about page. And I literally spent an hour and a half doing it. And I was like, I just got into this vortex of trying to figure this out. And I'm like, this is the, there's no value add whatsoever here. So using that as a preface, I just had so many of those experiences where I'm just wasting buckets of hours on nothing, basically. So the 80, 20 rule, we've heard this so many times in all different arenas, but it's legit. Like you are going to get so much of your results from such a small subset of the things you do, whereas you just might be adding all this other fluff. So like, you know, take a step back, whether it's every week, every couple of weeks, I usually do like every month. And I see where am I allocating my time during the week? And does this actually have an impact on my businesses or on the bottom line? Like, is this something that needs to be done? Or is this something that I like doing because I'm a perfectionist? And I, for I just built this system. And for some reason, I just keep doing the same 
crappy task over and over again. So, I mean, I think that can translate across whether an entrepreneur or you're in your corporate role, like there's just so much stuff that you could probably shave off. And, you know, if you lay it out like that, you know, obviously you, if you have a boss that you're reporting directly to and they're making you do something, you know, maybe have that conversation. Like, you know what, I'm spending 20 hours doing these tasks for this task every week. And I really think that I could add more value to the company spending time doing this thing, whatever it might be. But I have just, I've learned so much from taking a step back, using the 80, 20 rule and seeing where my highest impact on my time is. The second thing, and I think, again, this translates from small business to corporate to like, pretty much anywhere you have a system or process in place. And John Jonas, the founder of onlinejobs.ph, he was just a master at this. So, you know, build out systems and document every single step of the way. And the reason why I bring up John is because, you know, having a VA or someone who's filling in that task, it doesn't have to be a VA per se, it could be a new hire, it could be an intern at your job, like whatever the thing might be. The more explicit you can get with writing out these instructions, because you have all these processes in your head, I know like when I was going back to early entrepreneurship, when I'm publishing a blog post or a podcast, like I have a laundry list of stuff that I'm doing, but it's just in my head. I, if someone else tried to take it over, they'd have no clue what to do because I didn't have it written down anywhere. So I've gotten a lot better at actually tracking the processes that I'm doing. And now it allows me to, hey, if I don't want to do this thing anymore, now I can hire it out as a VA. Or if someone new comes in the team, now I have this, I literally built a training guide for them to do exactly what I'm doing, how I want to do it. So those have been the, the two biggest things for me, for sure, using that 80-20 rule, cutting out the fluff, and then documenting and building out those systems and processes have absolutely changed my business, my life, and how efficiently I'm working. That 80-20 one to me is really interesting. And we just had someone, uh, it was the author of the book Essentialism, came and spoke to us at our, our company actually recently. And that's a that's a pretty cool book where it's it's really diving into exactly that. It's diving into like how you're going to get you know, 80% of the benefit from 20% of the work and how to cut out things that aren't essential. And he even like dives into kind of the the background of the word priority and how for hundreds of years, there was no such word as priorities. There was no plural version of the word. It was just a priority. Like you could only have one thing that was your priority. If there is multiple, then it's kind of an oxymoron. How can it be the priority if there's more than one of them? And so I thought that was just kind of really interesting to see how our culture has changed. Where we're trying to like pack in more and more and more, more information, you know, handling more meetings, more whatever it is, but diving into what is actually moving the needle. And the, the other thing I think is neat about it is I see a lot of parallels between how we, when we've talked to people about really dialing in their expenses. So when we look at cutting something, a lot of times we're like, oh, I don't know, I feel like that's really important to me. And, but you're just like, well, just try it. Just cut it out for a month and see if you can still live with it. See if you really notice, I think you can do that with a lot of your work productivity things, you know, focus on those things that seem really essential and those things that are on the fringe, just try, try not doing that task and see if it actually impacts anything. See if anyone notices, see if it impacts the outcome. Like if it doesn't, then maybe, you know, go to the next thing, try to cut that. And then it's not that so much that so you aren't working at all, but it's where you can spend more time on the things that are giving you value. So maybe you're still spending eight hours, but you're spending eight hours on things that are really increasing productivity, increasing the outcomes and not four hours on the things that do four hours on things that don't and kind of always feeling like you're behind and struggling to move the needle. Cody, I know you're the, the anti-corporate job guy here, but what would be a corporate job that somebody could pitch you that would get you to say, you know what, screw it. I'm leaving all this behind. I'm going to a nine to five. What would that job have to be? Oh, geez. 
I don't know that. Okay, well, a nine to five, I guess, is a subset of a corporate job. I could get into a corporate job, but I would want it to be basically project based. I wouldn't want it to be like, I'm clocking in at nine, I'm done at five. I'd like it to be like, you're doing these tasks and you can do them at your own time, but you don't have to ask permission if you need to go do something in the middle of the day or like whatever that thing might be. I don't know exactly what I'd want to do for the job. I'm sure there's a lot of fun ones. Like I like, I love talking. I mean, I like podcasting a lot, something to do with video or brand building or e-commerce. Not sure exactly what the job would be, but the nine to five time frame I think would be the the crux for me. But I could I could get into a corporate job as long as it was, it was like you do these tasks. It'll take you 40 hours this week, but you know you could work from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. One day, if you're doing stuff, if you're going hiking all day, like something like that, where I have the flexibility to kind of complete the work on my own time. It's not not that I'm like super anti-corporate job. It's just that's kind of how it played out for me. I didn't I didn't end up finding that sweet spot job where it's like, you know, this is pretty good. It was like, this is miserable. My my commute's two hours long. I'm hitting my head on a ceiling and I'm never going to go everywhere. And everyone in my office is miserable. So (laughs) it was uh, I just don't think I found that job that was the right one for me. So uh, yeah, I don't probably not the best answer to that question, but that's that's kind of what it would be for me if I were to just throw all this entrepreneurial stuff out the window and go and take a corporate job. I mean, I think that's fair. I think you're just you're highlighting what is it about a typical corporate job that is the the deal breaker for you, and for you, it's the scheduling, it's the not being able to do what you want to do when you want to be able to do it. Because the tough part with that end up finding a job that's actually that way is you got to find a job that is very like where your work is extremely independent. Because if you're having to work with other teams then generally speaking, like you need to have some kind of availability hours. Like it might not be that you have to actually be working every single hour from nine to five, but like in a general aspect, in that time frame, if somebody needs something and they like reach out at, you know, 2 p.m., they're not waiting until the next day to hear from you just because it's like you're being a roadblock for them to continue. So that's probably the biggest crux with finding, you know, that in practice is finding a job that where your work isn't holding someone else back. So reach out, anyone listening who has that job <laughs> with that description in mind. Completely independent and time independent. I don't know what word I'm yeah. going for there. <laughs> we want Cody's inbox flooded with referrals. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you guys got affiliate links for your job so you can get some kind of commission if I stay for a certain amount of time. We'll split hey, most, it. Most people do. Most people do. I got <laughs> someone hired on and let's see. Actually, it should be in the next couple of days, they'll hit the 90 day mark and I'll get two or three grand. So there we go. There you go. Well, highest bidder gets me at their job. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I was kind of curious about, I wrote down some of the ones I use here. And I know you mentioned like scheduling was one thing that you just let the robots do, take it out of your brain. What other tools do you use in your job? Or it doesn't have to be in your job, I guess, just systems in general that just make your life like so much easier. You know, I think one thing that is, it's not necessarily like an automation type thing, but it's just something that I didn't get to use when I was in the Air Force. It's been interesting and we've had to lean on it a lot more now that we're in this fully kind of remote construct where you're not getting to go into a room with somebody in a whiteboard is a tool like Miro, where basically it is, it's like this big whiteboard with sticky notes. And because in my job, we, that was like a big way we did the practice. Like we would go in, we do a lot of brainstorming. There was lots of sticky notes and Sharpies and things. And, but when you can't physically be in a room, this allows you to have 20 people, you know, log in and they can all be filling out their sticky notes and throwing it on the board. And you can kind of, but you can get it set up so that you're going to be able to run that meeting efficiently once you're in it. Like you don't want to just like show up and start trying to build the headline categories after you're already in it. You want to plan through how you see the meeting going, but it gives you a way to collaborate remotely. 
And I think that's a cool thing about a lot of the tools we're getting is we're getting so much better at being able to work when we're not in the same room with each other that the two hour commute should be a thing mostly of the past. And I know that's a big thing that keeps people from really enjoying their corporate job is that slog of the commute. So hopefully we're moving in the right direction. I think COVID really pushed us there faster, but we've got the tools in place now where there's rarely a need to actually be in the room with someone. And one you mentioned earlier, and I know for me, I use Dropbox for like everything, all my files. And I know you mentioned like, you know, you got to pull up a client's files quickly. You got to be really organized. Like if you're fumbling around looking through a million files that aren't labeled and they're not in certain folders, like that just makes your life so much more difficult. Do you use something like Dropbox? Because that just has completely kind of saved my organizational life and it makes things so much easier. Yeah, we have the the G Suite, the Google Suite, Google Drive, which they have like their PowerPoint variant, their Excel variant, their, you know, all that stuff. There's a Google version of. And so it, it it's nice because it's this incorporated ecosystem where you can search across everything. Now that we have been acquired by a bigger company, we also have Microsoft Teams, which is uh, a similar equivalent, like where it puts in this functionality to have groups who can chat with each other and can collaborate on you know, like a PowerPoint at the same time or do your video call and it kind of integrates it all into one thing. But yeah, the G Suite, the search functionality across it is huge. And that's why, again, like using thoughtful naming practices uh, for me is really big because if I, I need to go in and search, I need to make sure that, you know, I'm bringing up the most relevant returns. And so, you know, if I'm not throwing a date stamp in the title or if I'm not putting the name of the customer in the title or whatever, then in three weeks, it's going to be really hard for me to find that file again. Two other ones that I cannot live without. And this is because like you, I just, I can't remember that I have a meeting with someone next Tuesday at three. Like, I'm just not going to remember that unless I have this written down somewhere. So I lean on calendar reminders and for like project management stuff. uh, I've been using Asana for like the past year. And that has been a revelatory piece of software that has just made my life so much easier. I don't forget about that task that I was supposed to do for whichever business I'm working on that day. So those those are the big three for me. The Asana reminders on my phone. So it pops up, gives me the alert that, hey, Cody, you have this thing you have to do. And then using Google Calendar. I know we just used that today to book talking to each other just so neither of us forgot. Yeah. So yeah, th- those, those tools have been huge for me as well, just making sure that I'm offloading the responsibility of remembering stuff to a computer. And though, you know, with the, the calendar thing, some people like to really completely keep work and their personal life segmented and isolated completely away from each other no bleed over i think the calendar is the one place where you should consider like letting those two kind of live together to some degree like having a calendar that you can pull up and you can see both at the same time because you know if you get in a situation and you do have the corporate job it's like oh crap i got a doctor's appointment i wasn't thinking about it because i'm just in my work calendar or you know kind of vice versa like you know you've got something that you're trying to do personally but you're forgetting about oh man we never have calls this late but we have this one customer who's in a different country or something and we did this you know we set up a special meeting outside of office hours and i completely forgot like having something where you can see both sets of events in the same view is nice and i know you can do that with google calendar like you can import other people's calendars multiple calendars i mean obviously you have to have someone else's permission but you can even coordinate things amongst friends. Like you could say, hey, you know, we're trying to find time to hang out. Well, you could incorporate, you could bring in someone else's calendar and view that on top of yours and find those white spaces where, you know, the two of you can sync up. So it's kind of a, something you could use to manage your personal life, corporate life, and entrepreneurial life. Like it just helps to get all that information in one view. Oh, yeah. I got your calendar right here, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's one more tool I do want to mention, and I discovered this probably two years ago. And for anyone who like has different segments or different stuff that they do in their, whether it's a corporate job, entrepreneurial, wherever, I know everyone probably has things where they have like all these tabs open for this one specific task. And Session Buddy has just saved my butt so many times. So let's say you have like eight tabs open because you're doing, and this is obviously for people who have computer jobs, but I'm guessing that's a, a decent amount of our audience work on the computer in some capacity. And if you have like different job types and you have tabs open for that specific job type or thing you have to do, Session Buddy is sick. I have like a 17 tab Session Buddy that I use for uh, when I'm working on millennial money and posting on there. Um, I have a, a Session Buddy for when I'm doing podcast stuff. I have a Session Buddy for when I'm working on the Etsy printables course. Like, And it's literally one click and it will open like, you know, as many tabs as you want to save. So that has been a really cool Chrome extension that I have definitely used and abused over the past two years. And instead of me trying to remember, okay, I'm, am I making sure I, I have to open this tab to get to this program or this website or whatever the thing might be, but you know, you might forget it if you don't just have it automatically there. So again, offloading brain power to the computer for a win. <laughs> so I haven't used session buddy, but I know Google Chrome also has uh, natively built in something called tab groups. And I don't know if it has all the functionality that you're talking about. I'm not sure that it quite has It'll do everything that Session Buddy does, but that's another option too. Where if you're somebody like me who has a hundred tabs open at a given time, um, you know, you can kind of put them into little groups where you can keep up with like, okay, this is the section of them that's for this kind of task, and this is a section that's for that kind of task. All righty, well, that's kind of everything I had on my little summary list over here, Justin. Is there anything we have not covered when it comes to passions, systems, businesses, anything like that? Well, the one other thing that came to mind when I was, I was actually rereading uh, Quit Like a Millionaire from Christy Shin, who we've had on the show before, and she talks about something that she developed called the pot score. And I, she's, she pretty much says in the book that she did it just so she could say that, <laughs> the pot <laughs> score. Um, but it's a payover tuition. So it's like when you're getting ready to go to college and you're thinking about which college to go to, what degree to get it in. Like, are you considering what that degree is going to cost you versus how much it's going to pay you as like a multiplier? So if the job you're going to get pays you four times the amount of what it costs you for tuition, that's probably a pretty solid choice. If it costs you like, you know, if someone's going to pay a fourth of what the tuition costs you, then maybe that's not a great choice. And I know I'm probably a little bit more in the camp of like being a little more, you know, financially thoughtful about like, how you, you know, the job that you go into and whether you're following your passion or not and like how much you're leaving on the table if you don't. And I understand it's a spectrum. Like, again, you don't want to be miserable, but I think it's fair to sit down and think about like, okay, do I really want to spend, you know, do I really want to get myself this far behind just to go tackle this specific degree at this specific college? Or could I get something a little different? It's going to pay more, go to a cheaper college. You know, you will have to make that decision in the end, but are you being thoughtful about it? Are you at least considering your options and what those variables mean? And if you guys enjoyed this episode and want to read the overview, the summary, any links we talked about, you can find all of that at the fiveshow.com slash passion. That's the fiveshow.com slash passion. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at the fiveshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.
Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.